Please remain standing as we read our scripture text for the sermon today. It comes from, there's going to be two passages, Luke 18, verses 18 to 30, and Luke 19, verses 1 to 10. It can be found on your pew Bible, page 877. We'll start with Luke 18, 18 to 30. And the word of God says, And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? There, No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these I've kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? And he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come, eternal life. Now let's look at Luke 19, verses 1 to 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. When they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And this is the word of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, may your people hear your word today. Your word is perfect. May it be proclaimed here today. May you be seen and heard. May the Holy Spirit open eyes, ears, minds, and hearts to receive your word. May we come away here knowing that we are a son and daughter of Abraham. I pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Why are there so many religions in this world? Why are there so many spiritual beliefs? Why does it seem like there could be many ways to heaven, to have eternal life, or to some God? of some sort. At the end of the day, though, it comes down to this. There are only really two religions in this world. There is the religion of do. 
This is the most common religion in the world. Merit-based religion based on things that you do in order to inherit eternal life. Doing righteous acts in order to win the favor of God. Doing good things that maybe, if you believe, maybe one day you'll come back in a better life. But we also see this commonly in many religions that claim to be Christian. Mormons teach that you can be saved by grace after all that you can do. This is actually in their Book of Mormon, 2 Nephi, verse 25 to 23. And they also hope that they can be a god of their own planet one day. Roman Catholicism, while they believe that you are saved by grace and you must have faith, you also need to work for your salvation. In fact, they hold that Protestants that believe we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, that we are anathema. Official Roman Catholic teaching, Council of Trent Canons on Justification says, If anyone saith that the justice, righteousness, received is not preserved and also increased before God through good works, but that said works are merely fruits and signs of justification obtained, but not a cause or increase thereof, let him be anathema. So they hold us anathema. We are accursed. We are damned because we don't believe that works add to our salvation. That, brothers and sisters, is a different gospel. That is a gospel of faith plus works. Works will come with our salvation, but it is a fruit of our salvation. It does not add to our salvation. But this leads us to the second religion in the world of the two. That is the religion of done. What God has done in Christ, in his perfect life, in his atoning death, in his resurrection, and by grace through faith in him, we inherit eternal life. It is in what God has done that we are to believe. And that is how we have eternal life. There's a big difference between those two religions. And the, relig- the big difference is God, what God has done. So today's t- sermon title is A Tale of Two Rich Men. Today we will look at both of these passages, in Luke 18 and also Luke 19. We will see two rich men, and they both had an encounter with Jesus. Each of them impro- approached Jesus in different ways. Each of them had very different reactions by Jesus to their encounter. One of them was seeking an answer to a question he assumed he already knew the answer to. And the other just wanted to see Jesus. One was following a religion of do, and one came to see what has been done. We will compare these two men and see the reactions again and think, who are we more like? We will look at their motives and say, what motives do we have? We will look at how Jesus behaves towards these men and and see and ask, how does Jesus behave towards us? We will look at also the requirements Jesus has for entrance into his kingdom. Do we fit those requirements? Do we follow a religion of do, or do we follow and believe in what has been done? And we will see once again that the difference is not us, but it's God. So let's look, Luke 18. Here we have a rich young ruler. We don't know him by name, but we see him approach Jesus in verse 18. He comes and he says, Good teacher. He calls him good. In a parallel account in Mark, he actually runs up to him and kneels down before Jesus. Now, this could be a sign of respect, but it doesn't mean that just because he bowed down to him and called him good necessarily means that he believed he was good. What does he ask? Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
Here's the question of that first religion. What must I do? Isn't this the heart of so many of us? We always look to do something, to accomplish something. Always looking for validation in what we've been doing. Puffing up our chests after doing a good deed. Patting ourselves on the back, maybe after some Bible reading. Maybe after even coming to Lord's Day worship. But Bible reading is a good thing. Coming to Lord's Day worship is a good thing. But done out of love. Done out of gratitude. Not done out of checking off a box or trying to earn points. The rich ruler asks, good teacher, what must I do? Jesus replies in verse 19, why do you call me good? There's none good but God. Jesus knows this man's heart and he begins addressing it right away. Does this man really mean and think that Jesus was a good teacher in the sense that God is good? Or was it just some flattery? Jesus in his reply is already telling this man that no matter what he thinks he has done to merit eternal life, he is not good. He is not God. He is not perfect. Then Jesus answers him, telling him what he wants to hear. He tells him what to do. He tells him in verse 20 to keep the second table of the law. These are all the commands that are outward towards your neighbor. Don't commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. And the one positive command, honor your father and your mother. Now, some preachers and teachers teach this passage saying, see, look, Jesus is telling us we have to do something to be saved. We can have faith, but we must also do something to be saved. But is that what Jesus is really saying here? The man asks him what he must do, and Jesus gives him the law. He must keep the law. Jesus, knowing this man is already seeking to be justified by the law, tells him, this is what you must do, young man. Can this young man keep the law? Can you keep the law? The reaction of the young man should have been, there's no way I've kept the law. I can't keep the law. Woe is me. I am undone. He should have reacted like Isaiah in the presence of God. But he didn't react that way. When the first use of the law was brought against him to show him his sin, he didn't react like that. And the second use of the law to drive him to Christ didn't happen either. What does this young man say? He says in verse 21, all these I've kept from my youth. He's bragging in his own righteous deeds. But really, are we, are you any different at times than this young man? How many times do we go through this list? Well, you know, Lord, I've never stolen anything of great value. You know, maybe some office supplies here and there. Maybe in the early 2000s, I downloaded some songs from Napster. But I've never stolen anything. Or maybe I've never bore false witness. Maybe one lie here, one lie there, a couple lies, but not really anything major. I've never committed adultery, but then Jesus says, never look at somebody with lust, so maybe. But you know what, Lord, all these I've kept from my youth. I'm clear. I'm, I'm good. How many times do we, do we do this with ourselves? Have we convinced ourselves that we are good? Have you convinced yourself that you've kept the law? That is what Jesus gives this man. He gives him the law. He tells him, you must keep the law. He does not see his reflection of his sin in the mirror of this law. And an interesting thing in Mark's account of this passage, it says that Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Jesus, already knowing how this man was going to react, looked at him with love. He loved him enough to tell him the truth. Jesus looks at you with love. Don't be prideful. Don't be arrogant. Don't boast in your own works. Don't harden your heart. Don't say, all these I have kept from my youth. I have not broken these commandments. Jesus goes on to say in verse 22, okay, one thing you lack, 
Sell all that you have, distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But this man says he's, he's kept the law. If you ask his friends and family that have seen him, they would probably say, yeah, he's a good person. He exhibits all the outward signs of being good. Also, what's good to know here in, in the Jewish culture of the times, wealth was looked upon as blessing. So it was a blessing bestowed upon the righteous. But Jesus says he lacks. There was something keeping him from the kingdom of God. Imagine the surprise of this rich ruler. He comes to Jesus thinking that he will be affirmed in his self-righteousness. This man perhaps thought that God has blessed him because he was wealthy and he was powerful. Now he's just seeking what this good teacher would say to him to affirm what he already believed. He wants to hear that not only does he have great possessions and wealth in this life, but that he has eternal life. But that's not what he hears. He hears just the opposite. He hears that the blessings and riches of this life that he thought he deserved, he needs to sell all of that and give it to the poor. Give it to the people who are seen as not blessed by God. But maybe he's thinking, what is this treasure in heaven? I want this treasure that I have on earth, but good teacher, I have riches, I have power, and I want to keep it all. But I've told you already, Jesus, I've kept the law. Verse 23, the rich ruler, when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. He had become sad, disappointed that all he had done in this life, all the riches he had amounted to nothing. He can't be buried with his riches. He can't enter the kingdom of God with his riches. He can't hold on to his riches in one hand and try holding on to God in the other hand. Our kids recently got some pet hamsters. And the other day, I was observing this one hamster that my wife gave an apple slice to. And, it, you know, these little hamster tubes that they have. This hamster was trying to get this little apple slice into the hamster tube. But he couldn't do it because the apple slice was too big. It was impossible. What illustration does Jesus use now to say how hard it is for a rich man to get into the kingdom? Verse 24 and 25. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who, to have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So his illustration is a camel fitting through the eye of a needle. Now, some scholars debate on what this actually could be, the eye of the needle. It could be the entrance to Jerusalem was often called the eye of the needle. It could be the smallest portion of the house, the entranceway, could be the eye of the needle. Or it can actually be a needle and a camel fitting through the eye. Either way, it's an impossible task. Many of the rich had done so much to be rich that they think they must continue to do things to gain heaven. But this doing to get into heaven is impossible. Verse 26, those who heard it said, then who can be saved? So even those following Jesus at this time were probably thinking that this man was a wealthy ruler perhaps part of the synagogue or the Sanhedrin, he would probably be the first on the list to get into the kingdom of God. He had earthly blessings. He probably tithed. He outwardly followed the law. So Jesus saying all this called real concern to those who were listening. But Jesus, verse 27, he says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. The difference is God. The rich ruler comes to Jesus even bowing before him, thinking he has already turned to his salvation. He comes thinking all his deeds are accepted before God. 
He comes thinking he's good and just wants to hear that he is good from Jesus. He comes in the name of the religion of do. Yet this young man is exposed. His heart is not with God. His heart is on his riches. He is said to give up earthly riches to gain heavenly riches by faith. He has said that all he has done has not earned him anything, and he has not fulfilled the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He was trying to merit his salvation. He has relied on his selfish motivation. And Jesus says it is impossible with the works of man to inherit eternal life. There is no doing to inherit your eternal life. Peter then points out that they left their homes behind, everything. Jesus goes on to tell his disciples that those who left everything for the sake of the kingdom will receive many times more in this life and eternal life and the age to come. Look around you, saints. We have inherited so much more than what we've left behind. We have family here, brothers and sisters in Christ. We have so many riches that we have now. Now let's look at another account, another rich man, Luke 19 verses 1 to 10. Here we have a man named Zacchaeus. A few interesting things here. There is only one account of this in the four Gospels. It's here in Luke. Luke uses the name of this man. There are three accounts of the rich ruler. We don't know his name. Zacchaeus is a tax collector who is looked upon as many as a sinner. Not only does it say he's a tax collector, but he's the chief tax collector, perhaps collect in charge of the tax collection of the whole area of Jericho. He works with the Roman government, and some of his riches came from defrauding people. What does the text say? Verse 1, Luke 19. He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was, he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. This man... Zacchaeus just wanted to look at Jesus. He wanted to see who he was. He may have never seen him before. He may have only heard a few things about him. The text doesn't say that he wanted anything from Jesus. Zacchaeus wasn't looking to be justified by anything like the rich young ruler was. He just wanted to see Jesus. But there was a problem. Zacchaeus was small. He couldn't see over the crowd. So verse 4, it says, He ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree before Jesus could pass by. So this tax collector, with no knowledge of who Jesus is, was so eager to get a look at him, he ran ahead and climbed and waited. Are we eager to get a look at Christ? Do we seek him? When things start to get in our way, do we climb over them? Do we push them out of the way just to get a look at our glorious Savior? Are your hearts stirred at just a glimpse of him? Are we just waiting to get a look? What happens next to Zacchaeus? And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Jesus, first of all, called him by name. A man who did not know Jesus, a man who just wanted to look at him, he calls him by name. This little chief tax collector gets called by name. Again, there were three accounts of the rich young ruler And there is one account of of Zacchaeus. We don't know the rich young ruler's name. Matthew doesn't mention it. Mark doesn't mention it. Luke doesn't mention it. But Jesus comes to Zacchaeus and says, hurry and come down. Brothers and sisters, are you hearing Jesus call you today? He calls you by name. He died for you by name. 
Will you be like Zacchaeus? Will you be like this tax collector? Will you, will you come when he calls your name? What happens? Verse 6, so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. That's how Zacchaeus react. How did the others around him react? Verse 7, and when they saw it, they grumbled. He has gone to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. Brothers and sisters, are some of us guilty at this at times? Do we grumble when certain people come to faith and they're saved? Do we actually pray for our enemies like Jesus commands us to do? Zacchaeus probably collected taxes from many of those who were around him at the time. He probably defrauded many of them. Perhaps even the rich ruler was present at this time. Maybe he was thinking to himself, this guy, this guy hasn't kept the law. He's friends with the Romans. He works with them. He's defrauding our people. This guy, who's also very wealthy, how is this possible? Let's look how Zacchaeus reacts to this in verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Zacchaeus, a rich tax collector, he didn't know Jesus at all before this day. He just wanted to see him. He climbed a tree and was called down by name, and he was told he was having a special house guest. Not just any guest, but Jesus himself was coming over. This Jesus, who had been going around doing miracles, preaching the kingdom of God, was now going to be a guest in the house of Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus welcomes him with joy. Zacchaeus then, without being told or prompted, states that he's going to give half his goods to the poor. He's going to return the money he defrauded and then some. Zacchaeus was brought to repentance right there. Zacchaeus was granted repentance. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. When Jesus says this, there are many, again, Pharisees and those around him who were grumbling that he was entering to eat at the, at the, at the table of a sinner. How can this sinner be a son of Abraham? Was it because he was a physical descendant only? No, he was a child of the promise. Abraham's righteousness was because of faith. Zacchaeus was considered righteous because of faith. His repentance and giving up all his goods showed his faith. Salvation didn't come to him because he was giving back all that he, that he gained by defrauding. That showed his salvation. Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Zacchaeus was walking in those good works. He has been saved by grace through faith. And Jesus says one more interesting thing at the end of this passage. Verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Brothers and sisters, you can't seek and save a lost thing that wasn't already yours. Zacchaeus was a son of Jesus. Zacchaeus, know, oh, sorry, Jesus knows his sheep and his sheep know him. So what's the difference between these two rich men? They both had wealth. The rich ruler probably earned his or inherited his and outwardly showed righteous signs. Zacchaeus earned his by fraud. The rich ruler approached Jesus already feeling justified. Zacchaeus just wanted to take a look. The rich ruler was sad when Jesus told him to sell all that he had and gave to the poor. Zacchaeus, without being told, decided to give half his goods away and pay back all that he defrauded and then some. So what is the difference? God is the difference. 
What is impossible with man is possible with God. We see Jesus saying it is impossible with man to enter, for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then we see Zacchaeus, a rich man, entering the kingdom of heaven. What's the difference? God is the difference. But how? In John 3, a man named Nicodemus, a Pharisee, comes to Jesus at night to talk to him about the kingdom. Jesus talks about the requirement to seeing the kingdom of God. He says, you must be born again. You must be born from above. The difference between these two rich men is that God has caused a change in Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus had faith. Zacchaeus had a new heart. Zacchaeus showed his repentance and faith. Zacchaeus was born again. This is what made Zacchaeus a true son of Abraham. The rich ruler, who to be fair, we don't know ultimately what happened to him, if he came to faith or not. But he went away sad because his heart was not for God. But Zacchaeus, a rich tax collector, who just wanted to look just to get a glimpse of Jesus, salvation came to his house. Zacchaeus climbed a tree to see Jesus. Jesus died on a tree to save Zacchaeus. There's no other man. There was one other man in the Bible who we know had money. He also probably had some power and influence. He had an encounter with Jesus. We know his name too. His name was Saul of Tarsus. Saul was not looking for Jesus. In fact, he was looking to destroy the following of Jesus. But in Acts 9, we read about Saul, who was on his way to Damascus to bring followers of Christ to Jerusalem to be tried before the council. Perhaps these followers would even be killed if they didn't deny their following of Christ. But what happens? We read a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. Saul rises and does what he is told. And since that time, Saul continued to do what Jesus told him to do. This possibly rich ruler was not the same after the encounter with Jesus. He went from being Saul of Tarsus and persecuting the church to becoming the apostle Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ. He had every reason to be self-righteous as well. We read already in Philippians, I'm going to read it again, Philippians 3, this is, this is Paul giving his resume. Philippians 3, verse 4. Though I myself have every reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I suffered the loss of all things and count them all as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul gave up his self-righteousness when he encountered Jesus. He was well on his way to being a leader in the religion of do. He, as a rich ruler, kept the law since his youth. But after he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, everything changed. What was the difference? God is the difference. Brothers and sisters, we must ask ourselves, which, which, man, which rich man are we? Are we going before the Lord saying, look what all I've done for you, but not really doing anything for him at all? Or are we just wanting to see Jesus? 
seeking him, to be with him, to be in his word, to be hidden in his righteousness. Brothers and sisters, are you going away sad with the love of the world and loving the things too much that are here? Or are you led by the Holy Spirit in faith? No amount of Bible reading, Bible memorizing, worship, evangelism, seminary, none of it will earn us eternal life. No works, even if done in the name of Jesus, will save us. May Jesus know you as he already knew Zacchaeus. A little side note, something I, I observed in churches, many churches do ministry in cities where we know the need. We can see the need. We go to, you know, in New Jersey, we have Trenton, we have Camden, we have Newark. We see a visible need. We see homeless people. We see poverty. We see drug addicts. But what about the rich? What about the people where we can't visibly see the need? And really, I'm rich compared to most people. And I don't have much, but most people in the world, if you look at them outwardly, you don't see the need. But there's a need for Jesus. They might think they're a good person because they're living comfortably. There's not a lot of trouble going on, but it's there. We all need Christ. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So may we be like John Knox, the Scottish reformer, who said, give me Scotland or I die. May we be like him and say, give us New Jersey or I die. Give us America or I die. So pray for opportunities to share the gospel, even with people that you don't see the outward need. As Jesus said, lift up your eyes for the field is white for harvest. Brothers and sisters, in closing, let me ask you, are you climbing the tree to look at Jesus? Do you hear him call you by name? Are you holding on to something that you think is more precious than the treasures we have in heaven? Is it your own works? Is it self-righteousness? Is it physical wealth? What sin are you holding on to? What's holding you back? What good is it for man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Like both of these rich men, we are all sinners. We all deserve to go away sad. We all deserve to die. We all deserve hell. God's word says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The penalty of sin is death. But Jesus did not fall short of the glory of God. He perfectly obeyed the Father. He took the penalty of sin and death on the cross. The death that I deserve, the death that you deserve. But when we trusted in the finished work of Jesus, God looked at us as if we perfectly obeyed. His righteousness imputed to us, credited to us. We then turn from trusting our riches, our works, our false gods, our idols, love of self, love of sin, and we trust God. We trust in Jesus Christ. We repent and we believe. You must be born again. This is the power of God for salvation. This is the good news. This is the gospel. May Jesus say to you today, if he hasn't already, today salvation has come to you because you too are a son or a daughter of Abraham. You are a child of God. You have been born again. Do you trust Christ? Don't go away sad. Give it all up. Give it all up to gain Christ. Don't follow a religion of do. It's so easy to fall down that pattern. But trust in what has been done by God through Christ. Climb the tree. Look at Jesus. May he call you by name. He knows your name. May, may God grant you all faith if he hasn't yet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you that you are the difference. That you've called our names. Jesus, you know our names. You died for us by name. Amazing love. There's not much more I can say to that, Lord. 
Thank you for our salvation. Thank you for Christ. Lord, may we seek those who are lost for you, Lord. Give us opportunities. May these words not just be words, but may they change our hearts. May we continue to grow in faith. Thank you again for your word. I pray all in the saving name of Jesus Christ. Amen.